0: You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you, church. You may be seated. Brother Aaron, come speak to us.
0: Be enough for me today. Um, Ricky is right in that um, today is a special day because we're going to be honoring our graduates today. Uh, we're not doing that in this service. Um, <clears throat> I will, promise you, though, that this won't be a second rate service as attested by the book you've already received. Uh, free gift for coming today. How often does that happen at church? And, uh, and the fact that Josh has already pointed out that uh, your singing was amazing. <laughs> so we can tell the Lord's already been with us. I hope you've turned to Luke 17 already. And I'm just going to read directly from this passage. Jesus is speaking in verse 1 where he said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, the little ones there, are, or sometimes you'll, you'll read in the scripture, um, children. It's commonly believed it's talking about believers in Christ, not little bitty children. But we could take that as well because there are many little children who are believers in Christ. As Brother Randy pointed out, that he was saved. Verse 3, Be on your guard. If your sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, repent, You must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Which one are you having a servant tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, Prepare something for me to eat. Get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you can eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did what was committed or commanded? The same way, when you have done all you were commanded, you should say, We are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. All all, all these verses are extremely important. important But for now, I just want you to focus on in the verses found in the middle of the passage. Right right smack dab in verse 5, where you see Jesus' disciples asking him to increase their faith. Throughout, Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus would often teach his disciples that with just a minuscule amount of faith, they, yes, they could move mountains. In Jesus' day and time, ancient people of mountains as being rooted far beneath the earth, way down there. But mountains weren't the only thing that Jesus told His disciples they could move. As just read to you, we find Jesus telling His disciples that just the tiniest amount of faith His disciples could also uproot more trees. My dad's a forester, so he knows about trees. <laughs> I ate out a mulberry tree for the first time. It was a good a big mulberry. Not only could they uproot the mulberry tree, but if they just believed, they could hurl this tree like a discus into the sea. So what you need to know here is that a black mulberry tree live up to 600 years. Any tree that can live that long... Would thus require a strong and vast root network. Thus, to move a mountain or to move a mulberry tree by hand alone would have been an impossible task. Uh, Natasha has been leading our youth on Zoom meetings. Everybody. I thank her for doing that. On, on a recent meeting that I, I attended online with our youth, um, I got to talk to them about the sequoia trees out in California. If it helps, helps think the sequoia trees that, that grow 100 feet, 50 feet and their roots are only just like this deep. You know, (laughs) it's not very deep deep at all. But it's because they're connected to each other. It's why they've lived and are so big and stand the test of time. So in reading this verse, we we tend to focus more on the disciples' request to increase their faith rather than the response Jesus gives to his disciples. And I'm going to explain this mountain-moving phenomenon later. now, let me just tell you that the History Channel, if y'all, if y'all are watching Dish or some other satellite, it recently re- reported how today, man using new inventions, have, have moved more cubic yards of earth in the last 100 years than men in all, all their previous years. Using simple hand tools to gargantuan machines along with high-powered Man today has literally moved. mountains. He's literally sifted through the th- beneath his feet. Thus, with the advance of technology, you may not think it too hard today to take a tree out of the ground or even to move a mountain. But what you need to understand is this wasn't the type of mountain moving that Jesus was referring to. Jesus never once mentions what his disciples need to do in their own manpower, their own strength to move a mountain. In fact, Jesus here never even asks his disciples to move a literal mountain or to move a literal tree. If Jesus did, and let's just pretend again that it's in our day and time, maybe Jesus would have said something like this. Uh, You see that moving excavator over there? Go get in it and start pushing things around. <laughs> I Peter would have jumped at that. No, the mountains and the mulberry trees stand for something else. The mountains and the trees stand for the things in our lives that we do nothing about in our own strength. Rather, faith in this verse is simply referring to the uprooting of that which is virtually impossible for us to uproot. The disciples were no different than you or I. They had let their feelings get in the way of forgiving their brother or sister in Christ. Remember who he's talking to here, talking to his disciples. It's not that the disciples couldn't forgive, it's that they wouldn't forgive. Subsequently, the disciples' request to increase faith resulted because they were using the faith they already had, the faith they needed at the time they could forgive. Jesus' words and, and passage were hard for the disciples. And it wasn't just because Jesus told his disciples to forgive their brother. Jesus also gave them two more responsibilities. Number one, never lead anyone into sin. And number two, rebuke your brother when he does sin. And it was on top of these seemingly impossible and surmountable commands that Jesus gives them the hardest command, Forgive your brothers when they repent. offer forgiveness as many times as your brothers ask for it. Thus, when the disciples ask Jesus, we come to verse 5 there, to increase their faith, they are confessing, we don't have that faith. We can't do all these things that you're asking Jesus. This sounds like something that you or I might say. God gives us a God-sized task, and we say, I can't, or worse, I won't. Moses, we begin to make excuses, but notice how Jesus responds to the disciples' lack of faith. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us, you don't need a lot of faith to do everything I've commanded you. You just need a little. That's because faith is not measured by its quantity, but rather by its presence. Now, in Scripture, there's two occasions Jesus commended people for their great faith. In Matthew eight ten, he commends the centurion. In Matthew 15, 28, he commends the salvation woman. And Jesus often chastised the disciples because of their little faith. Matthew 6.30, 8.26, 14.31, 8. 14, 31, 16, but in each case, Jesus was commending a person who simply took God at his word. He was also chastising men who did not believe God at that time concerning the matter at hand. There's a sense in which there's no such thing as great faith. There's only having faith or not having faith matter is not so much having great faith in God, but rather, rather having faith in a great God. The smallest amount of faith links you to Christ, who is mighty enough to do the greatest of feats. To take this concept a step further, I like what I heard recently when a preacher said that there is no such thing as great men of God. Only weak men who believe in a great God. <laughs> but back to the concept of faith. There are some things God may tell you that you may find hard to believe. But in order to believe, it's not more faith that you need. You just need a little faith so you will believe. Abraham didn't need great faith when someone told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. He just needed a little faith. <laughs> Think about this. The whole idea of great faith or the idea of more faith exalts man rather than God. The faith healers tell you, if you just have enough faith, you probably heard that on TV. Other Christians may tell you, I wish I could believe in Jesus like you do. And church members may say to their preacher, I can't be a man of great faith like him. But the truth of these three statements is, number one, you don't need to have enough faith. You just need to have faith. Number two, you can't believe in Jesus like I do. And number three, yes, you can be a man of great faith, like Pastor Josh, like the preacher, because he really is just out of faith, not out of faith. It's either A or B. You either believe in Jesus or you don't. You either take the word of God at face value or you don't. You either do what Jesus is telling you to, through the Holy Spirit to do or you don't. To stress the point I'm making on just having plain old fashioned faith. Let me share with you a fictional account that I came up with. Being that it's summertime, we actually have our graduates today who, who recently went to this place. Uh, I'll get to that in a second, but th- summertime—the time where we typically go to theme parks—and being, I don't know how much our pastor likes to ride Batman, or I know how I know how he loves Batman, so I'm sure he's ridden that. But imagine if I told you that I didn't have enough faith to get on Batman myself. that that ride at Six Flags. Ethan, one of our graduates, went to Six Flags. I'm scared that the ride will break down and I'm somehow going to get stuck at the top or or maybe even fall. You might believe what I'm telling you, but if you really thought about what I said, I think you'd have to reply, Aaron, there's nothing wrong with the Batman ride. You might be scared of heights or you might be overreacting, But the Batman ride itself is harmless. In other words, the object, the the roller coaster in this case, has proved itself trustworthy over time. And and you would tell me that if I'm scared or if I'm not, I'm going to walk off the roller coaster. I'm going to walk off that ride the same way that I walked on it in one piece. (laughs) Now, granted, I might be sick or dizzy when I walk off, but I'm still together. I just need a little faith to overcome my fear so that I can get on the ride and have fun like everybody else does. Truth is, I don't need a lot of faith because just a dab will do. I just need to have some faith. Now, let's take that same... Oh, hey, Josh, have you been on the Batman ride? Okay, yeah, yes. (laughs) All right, let's take that same Batman ride. And let's suppose I walk up to it and notice some loose screws. And the cart that I'm about to sit in is rickety. And let's say the handlebar is broke and the belt strap is loose. It doesn't take great faith to ride this ride. (laughs) It takes great stupidity because this will be the last ride that I ride in my life. Having more or less faith is not the issue. The issue here is, is the ride trustworthy? In fact, every time you ride in a train, Automobiles. that's the title of this message, same train Every time you do that, you you are expressing faith in the object that you're riding in, and also in the pilot or driver of the object to deliver you safely to, the, to your desired destination. My point here today is just simply that Jesus is right in his teaching. It just takes a little grain of faith to trust him. He's already proved that he is trustworthy. What he's asked you to do may seem... May Superhuman, Batman, Superman like. But through the Holy Spirit, you can obey his commands. In regards to the disciples' lack of faith in forgiving their brother, the disciples' root of bitterness might have run as deep as those old mulberry trees. The roots can run deep sometimes. But Jesus is telling his disciples if they have faith, he is forgiving them. They already have all the faith they need to feed their brother. The tree will be cast into the sea, the same where sin is to be remembered no more. Perhaps as Jesus was saying to his disciples, perhaps some Old Testament verses came into their mind, such as Micah 7, 18-19. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in loving devotion. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Remember when Peter denied Jesus? Jesus told him, I said, hey, I hope you go. And then he did, and he said, go and feed my sheep. What about Jeremiah 31, 34? As far as the east is from the west, so far as he rem- our transgressions from us. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their aching and I will remember their sin no more. Actually, the verse before that was Psalms 103. 12. See, I just made a mistake. We need forgiveness when we make mistakes. Don't we? Now, if that's not a mountain-moving experience there, Jesus and his disciples, I don't know what is. I'm talking about the fact that our sins can be forgiven. But after spending nearly all my allotted time to you, talking to you this morning about faith, what have I told you that this passage here actually has very little to do with faith? Would that like be a shock to you? Is this all talked about so far? Well, that's precisely what I'm telling you. <laughs> sure, this passage is about the way that it brings the subject up, but this passage is ultimately about how are I having faith. Rather, this passage is about us obeying God and being humble while we obey. The disciples needed to live out their faith by forgiving their brother, but even more, they needed to do this because Jesus had commanded them to. Hebrews 11.6 teaches us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Disciples had no power to forgive their brother if they weren't in the faith, but they were in the faith. There's a big difference in having the Holy Spirit enabling power to forgive and then taking that same act. To forgive, it's easy to come to church. It's hard to forgive your brother or sister at church. Yet Jesus says if your brother sins against you seven times, forgive him every time. Remember the scripture to obey is better than sacrifice. And if you're offering your gift on the altar and then, then you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Jesus here isn't telling his disciples to have faith. He's telling them activate the faith you've already got. You see this passage is more about what God wants you to do. And the way he wants you to do it. Than it is about trusting God with more or less of your faith. Jesus provides you with this teaching so you'll obey him more. And that as you do that you'll do it with ever increasing humility. Thus, the most difficult and impossible things you can possibly imagine can, can be accomplished through the same mighty God who humbly provided you with your salvation. Our passage today isn't about you struggling to have enough faith. It's about you struggling with some difficult commands to obey. And you know, today's passage contains only a small sample size of all the commands that Jesus gives in scripture, Tons of commands. Jesus himself knows it is impossible for us to obey the commands he gives us. That's why he's forgiven us. <laughs> that's why he's provided himself as the way for our salvation. And that's why he and he alone has the right to command us to forgive others. Man. <laughs> when Jesus, who is God. Speaks of the disciples doing their duty. Jesus is simply saying a disciple of his should not expect special commendation for obeying. Because serving God is one's duty. He doesn't owe us anything in hell. Rather as his disciple, God owns us. In humility we remember our place. In duty we do what is expected. And in duty, we wait for our master's return. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, He no longer calls us slaves, but we should indeed know that we are unworthy slaves. Why else does the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, 15 address himself as a slave of Christ? Now, don't think yourself as a slave in the form of, if I don't do what Christ wants me to do, he's going to beat me to a pulp. That that type of slavery was never um, approved of in the Bible. Never. In the Bible, a slave is simply a servant. And a servant should do his work as of Christ. If it was Christ Himself who said he came to serve and not be served. Luke seventeen ten says, In the same way, when you've done all that you were commanded, you should say, We are our worst servants. We've only done our duty. Our pastor loves Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, right? He said this when reading this verse. He said it was akin to pouring cold water down one's back, (laughs) right? The cross is the only antidote for man's pride. The cross is what allowed the Apostle Paul to say, I've been... And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave him for me. Jesus has answered all the problems isn't? He? If you think about it, anything we do cannot be compared to is not worthy of what God has already done for us. You're either a servant or you're a faithless servant. When it comes to the commands of Jesus, or even Scripture itself, perhaps it was the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who said it best. Kierkegaard said, It's hard to believe, not because it's hard to understand, but because it's hard to obey. Rick, um, are we going to have a melody of reflection today? Or- I'll just ask you to come on up and, and we'll, Rick's going to come on up. Uh, we're missing Stacy today um, and we'll close with a hymn. But I want to say this. I, I know that you're hurting. How do you know that? Well, just pinch yourself. <laughs> I know you're hurting because you're flesh and blood. You're human like I am. I also know because Jesus said in this, world you'll have many troubles what mountain is it that you need Jesus your savior to move this morning what mulberry tree is it that you need Jesus to uproot for you this morning you can't do it and finally what is it that you need to trust Jesus for taking him at his word so I want you to and during this time of, of uh, song to use this time to talk to Jesus and ask him what we have you to do
1: thank you brother very very important message for all of us about how much faith we have not much grain of a mustard seed. Wow. We're going to stand together. You've got your uh, bulletin's last song before we dismiss and be thinking about it. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Let's do all the verses of this and we'll be dismissed. Yes. Stand together as we sing. Here we go. When we walk with...
0: Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.